Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on this Wednesday. Colby, we've got tons to talk about with basketball. We've Oklahoma State's got a new quarterback. They've got more receivers going other places, some receivers coming in. I really don't even know where to begin, but how are you doing on this Wednesday? Uh, doing great. Yeah, busy week. Always a busy week in Oklahoma State land. Basketball's rolling, and the transfer portal has uh, – done a nice job of, of keeping college football in the news well through January. And we're seeing that with Oklahoma state. Um, but yeah, a lot to get to again. Yeah. It's like free agency when the NBA hits, you know, in the summertime or, you know, when that, when that window opens, that's basically what happens throughout the end of the regular season in college football. Before, before we discuss that and much more, let's hear from Chris's University spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit dot com we appreciate chris's sponsoring the podcast as always and uh colby let's start first with the quarterback that will now join uh, the ranks in stillwater i gotta be honest with you colby when i heard the name alan bowman uh my first instinct was that clip from major league where the guy's looking at the roster that they're going to invite to training camp and he says this guy's dead <laughs> like i thought alan bowman was out of eligibility like three years ago i knew he went up to michigan but i i thought that was his last and final sixth year but apparently this will be his sixth year and he's got some eligibility and oklahoma state has found their quarterback quote unquote he's going to compete with for the job but just what was your reaction to to learning that alan bowman was coming to stillwater uh my, my reaction was initially surprise um mostly that alan bowman still existed and was playing quarterback in college football uh hadn't heard anything about him for a long time i mean he kind of had this coming out day in stillwater and we're like oh is this the next guy at texas tech injuries really derailed that he moves up to michigan in in two years he played five total games he totaled 69 yards on on 11 attempts um yeah i mean at, at Texas Tech, as a freshman, he certainly flashed a ton of potential, almost 2,700 yards, completed nearly 70% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, seven picks. Like He, he put up numbers, uh, and he looked good doing it, and then the injuries got him, and then he just kind of fell off the map. So uh, I don't know what to expect from Alan Bowman. I, I do think it's good to get a more veteran guy in. Um, you know, it, it would have been a little nerve-wracking to go into the fall next season with only – Rangel, Gundy, and Flores on the roster. So I do think having a, a more veteran guy in the room is a good thing and, and hopefully something Oklahoma State can lean on. Now, am I just surefire ready as we sit here on January 11th to name him the starter for Oklahoma State? No, I, I haven't seen anything from him for a long time. I, I think it will be an open competition in camp and they'll run the best guy out. Now, there's a good chance Bowman will be that guy because he's just so much more veteran than the other. And we know Gundy values that and values a guy who's not going to turn the ball over, those things, and maybe you feel better about that with a veteran. But uh, I was very surprised to see his name pop up. Was not on my radar, probably was not on many people's radar. But, yeah, I, I think he's certainly an intriguing option, um, and, and I think it's pretty much a no-risk play, right? If it doesn't work out, you, you, you run out one of the young guys. So, yeah, a good pickup, and we'll see if he ends up winning the job. Well, it's certainly a risk in that, you know, with his injury history that you you likely, especially with the way the offensive line is built or lack thereof, 
uh, it's certainly a concern for me just in terms of his injury history and his lack of mobility to where I think you, you probably will be relying on one of those younger quarterbacks. But where I land on it is it's much better alternative than just going with Rangel or Gunner or Flores next year. That That is for sure. I mean, he's far more proven at this level, far older. I mean, obviously, I mentioned his sixth year, but I, I do wonder, Colby, if the way he performed in Stillwater twice is really what kind of kept him in the back of, of Mike Gundy's mind and certainly led him to to coming to Stillwater. I mean, he did light up Oklahoma State twice in 2018 and in 2020. Uh, he threw for 397 and two touchdowns in his, his first career start in Stillwater. Uh, he really was a really good player when, when healthy as a young player. Just the injuries certainly mounted. And I, I will say this, Colby, the injuries are a bit freakish. I mean, you're talking about a collapsed lung in 2018 that, that really ended his season when he was really getting going as a young player. Then a broken collarbone, which, again, doesn't sound as severe but that a broken collarbone knocks you out for a full year. I mean, that is a long, long recovery and a bit of a freak injury at that. And he had an ankle injury at the end of that. So those are those three major injuries that he's had. So Colby, it's not as if it's like a trace forward type situation where he's blown his knee out two or three times to where you wonder if he's going to retire with another knee injury. It, it's not like that. So I, that's those are some of the reasons I'm optimistic. He's proven himself in the Big 12 level. He's obviously got a ton of age on his side, if not totally game experience, considering he's only thrown a few passes over the last 30 months. But Colby, I'm I'm fairly optimistic, cautiously so, with his injury history that Oklahoma State's found a, a productive quarterback that can that can win games for them next year. Is is that where you land on it as well? Uh yeah. I mean, I, I think that this guy could be the stopgap. I, I do think the age is so, so crucial. I mean, there is a massive difference between a 23 and a 24-year-old standing back there playing college football and an 18, 19, or 20-year-old. It is just a huge difference in development, uh, in understanding the game, and understanding the speed of the game, the preparation, what it takes to play at a high level. You know, he never got the chance to be the guy at Michigan. Uh, just never worked out for him. He didn't win the job there, and he wasn't the guy. But, I mean, he was there for a couple of years, and he was there for a lot of winning. And I'm sure that he took some things in, what it means to prepare to win at a high level. And this is an Oklahoma State football season next year that I think has an immense amount of pressure on it. I, I think that that's obvious with the way this season ended down the stretch, uh, the mass exodus that we saw specifically from the receiver room, but uh, positions all across the field in the offseason, some of the, the rumors going around about the, the coaching staff and the way some things were handled. I think next year is an incredibly important, important season for the trajectory of this program to make sure that you can sort of stop the bleeding, if you will, because uh, there was a bunch of bleeding from November 1st through about last week. So if he can do that and he can be the guy, I mean, even if you win eight games next year, I, I know that that's not a, a groundbreaking season, but that's a good year considering everything that they're losing. It's just you, you've got to avoid the disaster season, which Mike Gundy has been very good at in his tenure, the, the 17 consecutive uh, bowl games. Those don't exist uh, unless you avoid the disaster season. And Maybe Alan Bowman is is the guy that next year can help them do that and be another one of those teams that can win eight games. Maybe if everything goes right and everything your, breaks your way, you go you win ten. Maybe if nothing breaks your way and everything goes wrong, you win six. Uh, but you're still not one of those programs that's sitting at home in December twiddling your thumbs. So yeah, maybe he can be that guy. And if he's healthy and can be, then yeah, sign me up. I'll I'll be a huge Alan Bowman fan. And maybe we can get back to an Oklahoma State offense that can sling it around the yard a little bit 
and put up 35, 40 points. Well, that's my question too. Like if he can be the guy Colby, like what it, it, this certainly would spell that the offense would look far more like the Brandon Whedon offense or the Mason Rudolph offense. And I had heard that Mike Gundy kind of wanted to get back to that at the quarterback position after, after Spencer. And I, I certainly think that's been their most successful options. Don't you? I mean, look, we all love Zach Robinson, but what happened to him at the end of his career? He was completely beat up and ineffective with a shoulder injury. What happened with Spencer Sanders at the end of his career? J.W. Walsh. I mean, all the mobile quarterbacks they've really had have truly not been themselves by the end of a you know a 12-game season. And so do you think – how much do you think the offense changes with Alan Bowman? Because it certainly appears to me that that's not only their best option in terms of a traditional pure air raid system – but it certainly would say that with Alan Bowman at quarterback, that's that's certainly what needs to happen and will happen. What do you think of that philosophy change with, with him if he, if he is named starter, which I think you and I both expect? Yeah, I don't know that this is will be as much of a philosophy change as it will be a philosophy return. I think Spencer was the philosophy change. Uh, you know, there have been some mobile guys at Oklahoma State, but Spencer was a true dual threat. Uh, I think it is most successful, like last year, second half against OU, Notre Dame and the Fiesta Bowl, zone read, stuff like that. That is where he was at his most successful is when his legs were a weapon and he was beat up throughout his career. Uh, and he also made a bunch of mistakes in the passing game. He was great at Oklahoma State. He wasn't perfect at Oklahoma State. Now, none of these guys will be either, but yes, Brandon Wheaton, that was the most successful season in Oklahoma State football history. Mason Rudolph, uh, you know, that, that last season, did they underachieve losing those three home games? Yeah, they did, but... There were some good years under Mason Rudolph, uh, and those guys couldn't move. I mean, they, they could get around a little bit. They could move around in the pocket. But for the most part, they were just standing back there letting it rip. And um, I, I don't know. Maybe that makes it easier to recruit an offensive line. Uh, I think mobile quarterbacks are great, and I think that they are game changers in football. And I think that we've seen that uh, trickle even up to the NFL level now. But those guys are more prone to get hurt. And Oklahoma State needs guys who can stay on the field. So hopefully – uh, you know, we we say that, and then we've got a quarterback who who missed three consecutive seasons with injuries. But yeah, if you're not taking off 10, 15 times a game, the chances of getting injured uh, are are significantly less. So I do think it will be a, more of a return to philosophy, like what happened with Mason Rudolph whenever he was in town. Uh, Brandon Whedon, some of those offenses now uh, are are. Do you have the personnel around the quarterback to execute offense at that high of a level? Right now, it would look like no. Certainly not the personnel of that 2011 team with the offensive line, the skill position players. But even Rudolph, I mean, that, that guy, he didn't play behind the best offensive lines, but they were okay, and he had really good running backs and, and stud receivers. So we'll see who fills out those roles next year. But, yes, I do think that this will be a return to philosophy for Oklahoma State offensively, and maybe that's what they need to get out of this rut that they've been in. Yeah, it's a good point on Rudolph. You know, Mason kind of thought he was like J.W. Walsh running the football, and he did have some more rushing touchdowns than than most folks probably would remember. But that is my number one concern, the, the offensive line and him getting hurt again. But you make a good point about Mason's ability to be successful with really, you know, about the same quality of offensive line that, that we still see today. So that's that's my main concern, Colby. But here's where I'm, why I'm mostly optimistic. You know, Alan Bowman threw for – 11,393 yards in high school and 119 touchdowns. And Cliff Kingsbury offered him a scholarship, and he accepted about three days later. And look, Cliff just got fired as the Arizona Cardinals head coach. We all know his lack of success as a head coach, but what he does know is quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Baker Mayfield. I mean, this guy knows quarterbacks. 
And that's something that really intrigues me about Alan Bowman is Cliff Kingsbury isn't just going to recruit somebody that is just just okay. I think he he really has proven that he can recruit at a high level at, at the quarterback position, just go through all the guys he's had. And so that that gives me a, a sheer reason for optimism. And, and another thing that popped into my head, Colby, <laughs> can't, I just envisioned uh, Mike Gundy, Dr. Casey Shrum, Chad Weiberg sitting in like a boardroom somewhere in Stillwater and Mike just kind of going over his plans for the quarterback position. And he just kind of slides the stats from Bowman's two games in Stillwater and says, you know, you know, 15 can sling it now. He, he doesn't never says a word. Uh, does everything right and just look look at his numbers and uh, don't you think that would be a, a big selling point to the the hierarchy at Oklahoma State just I mean we've seen it firsthand what he can do in, in Stillwater even though he was that was what three four years ago yeah that was uh was it might have even been five years ago now that he really had his coming out party in Stillwater but yeah I do think that that's a big selling point because something needed to happen to provide some hope right I mean, that's what Oklahoma State fans have been needing is some hope. It was just bad news after bad news after bad news for, uh, I mean, e- even the season. Saturdays were rough down the stretch, November, specifically the Bedlam game. Uh, and, and then the offseason hits, and it's like, all right, maybe we'll, we'll have a little fun now. And it got worse. And the fan base needed some hope. And I think that the the team needed some hope, and the coaching staff and the, the administration needed some hope. And Alan Bowman, look, you, you didn't go out and get Tom Brady, but – Maybe he's that guy. I don't know. We haven't seen him healthy in a long time. Uh, He's a veteran guy. So, yes, I I do think that he provides the one big thing that I think people on campus uh, and those of us viewing from the outside needed, which is hope. Yeah, they they certainly need a full dose of that. Um, You know, you've mentioned Spencer's name, and I don't know how much we want to get into, you know, the rumor mill that's been churning for the last week. But, you know, Colby, it's been a big talking point about, Spencer and if he wanted to return if he was told he couldn't return I mean I we don't you and I won't don't know the exact nature of of what occurred but just it's kind of a an uncertain time right now in terms of the football program the lack of communication I want to bring up Stephon Johnson here in a minute but it seems from things we've heard and, and just you know outsider's perspective that Maybe there was a power struggle going on there between Spencer Sanders, Casey Dunn, Mike Gundy. And I certainly would never, never ask Mike Gundy to let a player determine anything within the coaching staff or the university or his football program. But just I, I just felt compelled to bring it up, Colby, just with all the the uncertainty that's going on in Stillwater and all the rumors about Spencer, who still today, you know, on January 11th, doesn't have a home yet. Uh, just curious what you make of everything going on in, in Stillwater right now with that? Yeah, it's it's hard to traffic in rumors, right? Because you don't know what's true. You don't know what's not true. But what I do know is that it is incredibly odd, incredibly odd for the second winningest quarterback in school history to have his tenure end this way with a so much uncertainty about what is and isn't true about his departure. Was he wanting to come back? Was he told he couldn't? There are a lot of things that we just don't know. And we may never know, but I mean, it is incredibly odd for his career to have ended this way. Stillwater gave a lot to Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state gave a lot to Stillwater. Uh, You know, this coaching staff had patience with Spencer early in his career, whenever he was incredibly turnover prone um, and doing some things that were, that were getting them beat. 
he also had a lot of great moments at Oklahoma State. The one, the one elite season for Oklahoma State, where obviously the defense was the calling card, but the offense uh, had huge roles in winning the two biggest games of the season, and Spencer was the catalyst for that. Um, you see what it looked like when it, whenever he was out. It's just he was such a big part of Oklahoma State football for a long time. And have it end this way where it just feels like, um, I mean, you see these former players come back once they're gone. I don't know what if that looks different with the portal whenever they go. Like, Jark Bernard Converse goes and plays his last season at LSU. If he wants to come back and stand on the sidelines uh, ne- next year for a game, and are they going to throw him up on the Jumbotron, stuff like that? It just feels like that's not going to happen with Spencer. Um, and, and it feels like, although he was Oklahoma State family and bled orange for, what was it, five, five years, six years? I think it was five years. Um, that we're not really going to see him back in Stillwater on the sidelines. Um, I, I don't know. I, again, I, I don't know what is and isn't true about the rumors that are floating around, but uh, I think it is fair to say, regardless of the truth, truth of any of that stuff, that it is an odd ending to the career of the second winningest quarterback in school history. It's really weird, and you have to sit here and wonder, did Spencer think there would be much more of a market for him? Did he overplay his hand in terms of what schools would be offering him and, and what they would be offering him? I don't, I don't know, but I, I do, I'm with you. I, I struggle with this because on the one hand, I would like to see Spencer return. I think he's the best option for them at quarterback. But on the other hand, if he is trying to dictate things in Stillwater, he needs to know his role and his role is starting quarterback, not head coach and, and CEO. And I, to me, that's just that's what appears to me what's going on. Again, I don't have any information on that. I've heard just basically what everyone else has, but that's where I kind of stop and start with it. Like you're you're a great quarterback. You've been a, a great uh, representative of Oklahoma State, and we, I'd love to have you back. But Mike Gundy clearly feels a, a different way, or he'd be back. And so I, I I don't know what happened there, but it you're right. It is strange and and even weirder. The guy who's replacing him, Alan Bowman played in Stillwater before Spencer ever took a collegiate snap. That's kind of how wild this this transfer portal has gotten and how wild eligibility has gotten. Uh, yeah, that is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Spencer's been around for a long time, too. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious, though. I mean, it's January 11th. We've got to know soon, right? We've got to know soon where Spencer's going. I mean, spring semester's getting underway. Uh, got to get enrolled in classes, all that good stuff. So, uh, I mean, I would think. Next week, maybe a couple of weeks. I, I can't imagine it drags on much longer than that, but I, I want to know where he's going. I, I want to know if uh, he's going to be playing at midnight on the West Coast next year, and I'm not going to get to watch any of his games. If he's going to Auburn and, and his games will be popping up all the time, I, I need to know where he's going. Well, I, I think I saw like an Instagram story or something. He was visiting uh, Ole Miss. So I, I would think Ole Miss or Auburn to me would be the two most likely destinations. Now, Ole Miss has a starting quarterback in Jackson Dart. Uh, maybe he thinks he can beat him out. I don't know. But I, I think Auburn probably is the one that makes the most sense in terms of, you know, depth chart, things of that nature. But Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Ole Miss, if he could win that job there, is probably the place where he can put up a lot bigger numbers and, and turn more heads. Well, yeah, and I'd, I'd much rather play for, for Lane Kiffin as quarterback than, than Hugh Freeze. <laughs> That's just me. And, and Ole Miss is a better football program at this point than Auburn. So. But along the same lines, Colby, like the lack of communication with the football staff and the players that we discussed in depth last week, seemingly there's another example of that with Stephon Johnson announcing he's transferring to, uh, to the University of Houston. And I have a big problem with this, just like I mentioned on the last week's show. But but here's the 
here's what's become really apparent to me, Colby. If you listen to Pat Jones on the Sports Animal, who is, make no mistake, still Mike Gundy's mentor, uh, gave him his first head coaching or his first coaching role as soon as he graduated from Oklahoma State. Uh, He's taken the same approach, it seems, that Mike Gundy is that these guys are replaceable and that perhaps that's the reason why he doesn't have much of a relationship with them because he doesn't really value them. And uh, the reason I say that is all I had to do was listen to Kale Gundy on the radio on the Sports Animal as well this week. And he was asked about, you know, the transfer portal and and things of that nature. I think he was specifically asked about the – the receiver position and all the transfers that have happened there. And this was, to me, was so telling. He was basically like, I can go out to the West coast and get a guy and catch 50 balls. Like they're just guys. And to me, Colby, that, that spells it out for me. I mean, that's his brother and his mentor basically saying the same message that if you want to leave, fine, we'll replace you and we'll just keep on moving. And you it really won't affect us a whole lot. And to me, that's a severe mistake in any era especially this era with, with players and, and look, let's face it. Stefan Johnson, he is a freshman. He had some nice moments. Is he a proven all-star? No, but would I much rather have him than these one year rentals in the transfer portal, or maybe even a D three guy that was actually rated higher than him in the transfer portal rankings. I would much rather have Stefan Johnson. And, but apparently Colby that Mike Gundy and his staff views these guys as replaceable and they don't really care if they leave. And to me that I take, I take a big issue with that. Uh, yeah, I don't buy into that what line of thinking at all. I think that that prevents you from building team chemistry. I think it prevents you from building quarterback wide receiver chemistry. If you've just got a bunch of one year rentals that come through and um, you, you know, a bunch of them leaving unhappy at the moment, I, I just, I don't know how much water that's going to hold as a long-term plan. I, I mean, obviously this year, you know, guys come out, you replace them, you try to do what you can to make all the pieces fit, and everybody's adjusting to the portal, and I get that. But I don't think that it, it's a long-term plan to just say, yeah, we'll have a bunch of guys transfer out every season. We'll just replace them with somebody else and turn it – just turn it over. Just do it again next year. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that the best teams that you build – I mean, look at the best defense in school history at, at Oklahoma State in 2021. Those weren't rentals. I mean, those were dudes who had played together, who understood where everyone was at on the field at all times, who needed to be where, who was doing what, who had what assignment. I mean, that's chemistry that you you can't just put that in the microwave. That That's not microwavable chemistry. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can microwave a football team and you can throw it out there and, and you can win eight games, but those special seasons where you pop and, and we've had – Two of them now under Mike Gundy, 2011, 2021, those special seasons, those aren't seasons. Those aren't microwave seasons. Those are seasons that are built on a strong foundation uh, with a bunch of guys that have played together. So, yeah, I don't totally buy into that. And I I hope that there will be more stability moving forward with the roster, because I also think from a fan base perspective, I mean, people have favorite players, people get invested and every year, a a constant high level of roster turnover. It's just going to be relearning. Okay. Is this guy any good? Is this guy any good? Where'd he come from? And all this stuff. It's, I mean, 2011, we were all sitting black yet sitting back. Yeah. Justin Blackman, Joseph Randall, Brandon Whedon. Those are the guys. Let's do it. Let's run it back. Josh Cooper, you know, Markel Martin, whoever you want to name. Same thing in 2021 with the guys on that defense, Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper, those guys. It's just from a fan perspective, from a chemistry perspective, 
I just think it all works better if you have stability on the roster. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I, I saw those comments. Uh, I disagreed with them. Obviously everybody's welcome to their opinion, but yeah, I, I prefer roster stability and, and guys sticking around to just constant turnover and dime a dozen receivers and skill position players. Well, and if you're a school like Oklahoma state, just look at TCU. Like, how did TCU get to the national championship game? Although they got they got blown off the face of the earth, but who cares? They made it to the championship yeah. game. They won a playoff they, they game. They don't play the same sport as Georgia. It's fine. They got there. It was a magical season. Well, and the way they got there is, to your point, a bunch of seniors, a bunch of guys who have played a lot of football together. Uh, you know, they had they had some additions in the transfer portal, but the the nuts and bolts of that team were on campus for they're, they're a really old team, and that's the only way a team like Oklahoma State. Uh, last year and, and TCU this year are able to advance that far. And so that's that's another reason I'm against this notion that, well, we'll be fine. If you want to leave, leave. Like that's just <laughs> that's that's not a sound strategy to building a roster that that can compete and win. Now they do get this commitment, Colby, from a division three receiver named Leon Johnson the third. He went to a school he went to something called George Fox. <laughs> Sounds like a my 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 accountant, George Fox, is the university he was apparently at in D3. What does the George Fox say? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, That's, that was that, bad, wasn't it? That was pretty bad. Now, you know, uh, I'm around two little girls that, that like the what the Fox said, so I, I know exactly what you're referencing. But he did have 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns and was ranked higher in the in on three's transfer portal rankings. So, I mean, look, you, you could argue the other side with Mike Gundy that, look, it doesn't really matter who I have. I'm going to win eight, nine, ten games and move on down the road. And this guy certainly appears to be a guy that you can plug and play. Six five, two hundred seven, good size, good, good everything. And that's why he was ranked where he was. But you know, Colby is just we're going to need a we're going to need the roster on hand on on game one to learn out who who the heck all these guys are. Yeah, how'd you like to be Dave Hunziker, by the way? I mean, it's just he's got a bunch of new names uh, to learn. Sportscaster of the Year, Dave Hunziker, was announced yesterday. He won Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year. I sent him a text message congratulating him. He said he told me thanks and uh, proud of Dave. I know you had him in class as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Dave is uh, the absolute best of the best. Love Dave. And that could not go to anyone more deserving. If uh, if you think Dave just shows up on Saturdays and puts on that broadcast, you have no idea what he is doing behind the scenes all week, every week in the offseason. Uh, he is a pro's pro. So big congrats to Dave. Um, yeah, I mean, again, an- another plug-and-play guy. We-, we talked about the fact that you want to have the longevity and you want to have the chemistry with your roster, but sometimes you you play the hand you're dealt, and this hand is going to be a bunch of new guys, a bunch of guys coming in from the portal, and hopefully uh, they are plug-and-play well, guys. Not just plug-and-play, plug-and-play well and go win games. Uh, hopefully he can be another one of those because it's it's going to look very different next year. I'm Actually, I, I'm to the point now – Last week, I, I was angry, and I needed to vent a little bit. I'm to the point now where it's like, okay, this is Oklahoma State football football's reality. Let's get excited about the new guys and the prospect of what next season could bring. Um, I, I have no idea what it could bring. I I think anything between about 4-8 and eight and 10-2 and two is on the table, and that's actually kind of an exciting way to go into a season. Do you really think 10-2 and two is on the table? Um, <laughs> Maybe that was a little aggressive. I. I don't know. I mean, TCU went five and seven next year. I, I don't know that Oklahoma State's catching lightning in a bottle like they did. Um, that's a little bit different level, but ten and two is probably not on the table. Again, that would be peak. Everything goes right. Um, but my, my overall point was, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from this team next season from a scheme standpoint, from a success standpoint, and that makes it intriguing to me. 
Well, and I'm I'm certainly optimistic about the defense. I thought they played well down the stretch of this season, you know, certainly better than they had earlier in the year. Um, I'm very concerned about the defensive line, though. Like, <laughs> I mean, their defensive line is decimated. And so while I do think they're good in other areas, that's that's a big concern. And I just don't think they're gonna be able to run the football again. I mean, what 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 evidence do I have that OSU is gonna have a good offense next year? Now, I will wait and see you know, about potential staff changes. I do think that's happening. Mike Gundy typically does that after the big coaching conference that occurs around the national championship game. So I would expect uh, some news to trickle out here in the next coming weeks, but, and I'll certainly reserve judgment until all the dust is settled. But as it stands today, Colby, I mean, again, I, their roster is is better than very few in in the big 12 is kind of where I'm at today. The big 12 is really good. The Big 12 is really good. Uh, next year would be a really nice year to to just, you know, a bunch of guys leave. You have a little bit of a down year, but you play in the Big 10 and you get to play essentially five Rutgers that year. Or you, you, play, <laughs> in the, you play in the Pac-12 and you get to play against five Arizonas that year. Uh, you, you don't get that in the Big 12. This is a really good football conference. And we talked about the recruiting a couple of weeks ago, the classes that some of these other schools are bringing in. I mean, Texas Tech was just behind TCU in the rankings, and TCU was, was dominating in recruiting uh, amongst the new Big 12 schools, not OU in Texas. Um, yeah, the Big 12 is a hard football conference. So you, you've got to get a lot of things right to win in the Big 12, but Mike Gundy's done it. Um, yes, I, I'm down on him right now. A lot of things went wrong in 2022. Isn't it always kind of though? As soon as everybody starts to get tired of Mike Gundy and like, okay, this act isn't cute anymore, and everything's going wrong, isn't that usually when he kind of surprises us? Um, I don't know how how many times can can you pull the rabbit out of the hat? I guess we're gonna find out. We're definitely gonna find out, and I, I think the answer to that question is yes. Usually, when the walls are closing in on Mike Gundy, is when he's at his best. So that's a reason to be optimistic. And and to that point, Colby, it's it's really hit me last night as I was watching the OSU basketball game against Kansas State. You know what I learned? I learned that the two Mikes are like bizarro versions of themselves. Mike Boynton is the bizarro version of Mike Gundy. And what I mean by that, Mike Boynton recruits the friggin' lights out. He just got another top 50 to 100 guy in the country. We'll talk about that in a second. But what he doesn't do is coach coach winning games. He doesn't coach effectively to win games when they are close. One of the, the hallmarks of Mike Gundy's career has been winning close games. Remember the term cardiac Cowboys. Uh, once again, Colby, last night, game on the line, Oklahoma State basketball goes in another one of those funks, another one of those droughts, and they just they just seemingly over Mike Boynton's tenure have invented ways to lose. They did so again, and it kind of hit me, Colby, that the two Mikes are kind of bizarro versions of themselves, and I I frankly like winning more than I like recruiting Uh, as much as I think recruiting in the sport of football, which I'll get to when we talk about TCU and Georgia matters. uh, That that was kind of my takeaway from last night. Uh, Yeah, no, it's been tough for coach Boynton. Obviously last it's the scoring droughts. It's these insanely long scoring droughts had one last night, five minutes and 48 seconds early in the second half where they missed 10 shots and had four turnovers in that stretch. I mean, man, they're, just seems like there are too many good players on the roster for them to go that long without scoring. I know the Big 12 is a defensive conference and, and you've got a battle, but man, that's tough. Um, and, and then Oklahoma State gets within a score and then they score once in the final 352. 
Uh, the game against Texas on Saturday, they take a lead. Uh, I think it was Asbury hit a three, put them up maybe 44-43. And then they kind of celebrated that three for a second, and Texas is right down the floor in two seconds, get fouled at the rim, and boom, you're right back behind again. They, they can't score down the stretch of that game, and they lose. It's – I think that the conversation surrounding Oklahoma State basketball is a nuanced one um, because Mike Boynton came in. He – got energy around the program. He got the number one overall pick in, in the NBA draft to come to town. And then the NCAA just castrated Oklahoma State basketball. Um, everybody else got a slap on the wrist and Oklahoma State got the hammer. And I think that he's still recovering from that to an extent, the ability to fully build a team over the years. But I, I still don't know what to make of the late game scoring droughts. And, and it has seemed, Carson, that there is not just one guy in the last five minutes that can just go get you a bucket. And Cade was that guy, and we know the year Cade was here, five minutes to go, get out of the way because it is time for Cade to go win the game. Now, that's a special guy and a special talent, but, I mean, other schools, that they've got guys who can take over down the stretch and guys that you can count on to get that bucket. And I, I just – Oklahoma State has not consistently had that guy in the last five minutes, and it, it has proved uh, – it's proved tough for Oklahoma State. I, I got on earlier to look at the the rankings for 2023. Basketball rankings, recruiting rankings, for whatever reason, it's it's not all pieced together as pretty as, as football rankings. Uh, 247 for 2023 had Oklahoma State at number nine in the country looking forward. Uh, they just landed the four-star today, which I read was the uh, second highest ranked uncommitted player. He was deciding between Oklahoma State and Memphis and going pro, uh, and he committed to Oklahoma State this morning, so that's a big one. I, I mean, if you're looking for hope for the future, he still is bringing in big-time talent, but in the present, I mean, the Kansas game was there to win. The Texas game was there to win. The Kansas State game was there to win, and I get that you're, you're probably not going to get all three because this is a very good basketball conference, but there's a big difference b- between getting all three and just getting one. You just get one of those three, and you're two and two in conference play, and you feel good about yourself. You don't. Now you're one and three in conference play, and you feel like you absolutely have to win on Saturday, go one and one in the week, and, and try to just keep pace in what is a, a juggernaut conference. So, uh, yeah, OSU basketball, it's got to be better down the stretch. Somebody needs to take over and go get buckets in those last five minutes. Yeah, you know who wasn't getting buckets is the backcourt. Do you know what they're uh, what Avery Anderson, John Michael Wright, and uh, Bryce Thompson and Chris Harris combined to shoot? Oh, I know it wasn't good. How about three of twenty nine total Woo! from the field? Uh, not great, Carson. Not great. Yeah, OSU shot thirty three percent from the field and twenty two percent from three. Uh, eight of nine from the free throw line. Shot eighty eight percent there, eighty nine percent. But um, I mean, look, Colby, like the. This is where I'm at. The players change. The names change. The recruiting classes don't change. They're top 10. They're excellent. Um, But what really doesn't change the most is offensive basketball under Mike Boynton. I mean, Colby, how many more games can you sit through where they literally can't hit the broadside of a barn? I mean, Mike Boynton talked about this extensively when they only scored 46 points against Texas. I'm just wondering... You know, and the reason I was most optimistic about Mike Boynton was the Scott Drew comparison. You know, Scott Drew's coaching acumen was was rightly criticized. I was one of the louder voices on that. I did not think he was a very good coach. And what he did was simply overwhelm you with recruiting. And eventually, you know, he he learned how to piece the the pieces together. He learned how to play his own defense. 
And the rest is history. Look what Scott Drew's done at Baylor. And my hope was that the same thing would happen under Mike Boynton. And it's just not. It's just not. And the recruiting classes are great. But if you can't coach to win and you can't win tight games, that that that, that to me more than any other sport is a reflection of the coach, is losing close games in the last few minutes. And you can sit here and blame the players. And look, going three of 29, a lot of that's on Avery Anderson. A lot of that's on Bryce Thompson. But we've been blaming the players for six years, Colby, under Mike Boynton, and the lack of offense for six years. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder if this is ever going to turn around, and I, I think that's fair to question at this point. Oh, I think it is as well. I, I don't know that I, – I really don't know how hot his seat is this year because he is so beloved in Stillwater. Um, I don't know, and, and he's recruiting well. The Scott, the Scott Drew comparisons are there. Scott Drew was – a habitual underachiever with good recruiting classes at Baylor. And then all of a sudden he, he got it figured out and it clicked. I, I do think that there's a learning curve to being a head coach at this level. And Mike Boynton had never done it before. Um, but the, the results are going to have to start come start coming sooner rather than later. I love Mike Boynton. I, I want Mike Boynton to be the guy to turn it around for Oklahoma State basketball. Uh, so far he hasn't been. Again, the one magic season with Cade, and that was a blast. But – then partially um, th- through some failures within the program and partially because of the NCAA, all that momentum was derailed, and you've got to figure out a way to get that back. The Big 12 is not getting any easier. This is a hard, hard basketball conference. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a tweet right here from Cody Nagel about the, the class that's coming in. A couple of four stars at the top. Brandon Garrison out of Dell City, he's a, a 98 overall rated recruit. Eric Daly uh, is almost a 98 overall rated recruit. Actually, three four stars that I'm showing here. It's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that you give him time with this next class that he's bringing in and, and see what it looks like over the next couple of seasons. Cause I don't know that you have a plug and play option. That's going to come to Stillwater and automatically make you a sweet 16 team. But I do think uh, Mike Boynton in the next couple of seasons is going to have to start doing some serious winning. Um, be, being a good guy and being loved can take you a long way. At some point you do have to start winning games. Yeah, you do. I mean, look, I just, just look at who he was coaching against last night. Uh, Jerome Tang, new head coach at Kansas State. Colby, what off the top of your head, what was Kansas State's record last year? Uh, off the top of my head, Kansas State, they were pretty average, I think. Um, I don't know, 18 and 12, somewhere in that neighborhood, 21 and 14, however many games they play. They were 14 and 17 overall. Yikes. 6 and 12 in conference play. They've already won more games this year. They've already won. They're 15 and 1, and that's my point basketball is a sport where you can turn things around dramatically quickly because your roster isn't, you know, a hundred dudes like it is football. It's, it's a very finite roster and it's very easy to redo that roster in a given year. If you can't score the basketball. And again, I'll, I'll just say it again. The names have changed. The results haven't. And the results right now are, is Mike Boyden going to make the tournament this year? And I'm with you. I don't think anything's going to happen this year because buyouts, fairly large but going into next year i mean if they don't make the tournament this year i mean look it's the big 12 is ridiculous we all know that but it's not changing <laughs> i mean kansas state is 15 and 1 and that's kansas state who finished second to last last year well below oklahoma state and so you just look at what jerome tang's doing like i think it's fair to question is mike boynton going to do that at oklahoma state i mean uh, six years is a long time colby and look, I'm with you. I, I understand the NCAA challenges. I think you have to factor that in with the results. But 
the, the he's running out of excuses and he's running out of time before you know this is a and Mike Boynton knows this. I'm not saying anything he doesn't already know. Like this is a results based business and he's not winning enough. And it's time to it's time to win these close games. I mean, look, they got ho- absolutely hosed in Lawrence, but don't give up a 15 point lead. And it's easier said than done. They're one of the best teams in the country, and you're playing in, in Allen Fieldhouse. That lead is not going to last forever. I, I get that, but it, Colby, it's it's time to start winning basketball games. It's it's well beyond time, in fact. Yeah, I'm with you. If if you had had these on court results in six seasons without the NCAA stuff. I think the seat would be absolutely on fire um, with the NCAA stuff factored in. I think the seat's warm. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's totally yeah. fair. I, and I, I would, I would characterize it. I think that's, that's certainly fair. And, and and Mike knows that he knows that if he doesn't win and doesn't go to the tournament, like what, what are we doing? Like if you're not going to, like <laughs> that's kind of where we're at now, isn't it Colby? And it's kind of sad that the bar is make it to the tournament. That that's not what OSU basketball was growing up, and and maybe it never will be again. I don't know. I mean, maybe Eddie Sutton was just a magician, but the 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 prerequisite for Eddie was to make the tournament, and he, and he mostly did every year, and that's why he's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, and we're not asking OSU to make the tournament every single year. I think I do think that should be the bar, but man, that bar is is pretty low compared to where it used to be. No, it absolutely is. It's it's changed drastically. Um, the landscape of college basketball in this state has changed drastically. OU, OSU, um, man, the successes have been few and far between. I, I'd like to get it back to where it was. I don't know, maybe the, the thunder aspect of that, uh, the crowds certainly at either place. I mean, o, OU's never really been known for their basketball crowds, but it's gotten even worse. Gallagher-Iba um, does okay and, and puts some people in the lower bowl, but uh, nothing like it used to be. It's just I think we're longing for a time that may not be coming back as far as just the overall uh, – prominence of college basketball in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's fair. You ready for bullets and BBs? Uh, yep, let's do it. You can, uh, you can go first, fire away. Uh, my bullet is going to go to, let's see here. Who do I want to give it to? I guess I gotta, I, I gotta give it to Kirby smart. Um, and look, I, I think people are getting it twisted on Kirby smart in Georgia. It's as if, they're just lumping Georgia in there with Alabama in terms of what they are as programs. What Kirby smart, like his level of difficulty was much, much, much higher than what Nick Saban did. Uh, Nick Saban took over one of the preeminent programs in the history of college football. Georgia has a worse history than Tennessee in terms of national championships. They're, he basically took over Tennessee and turned them into Alabama. That's what he's done. And look, Georgia's always been a sleeping giant based on their location, the amount of players that are in Georgia. But Georgia has not been close to the top tier of college football in a long time. Their last national title was in the early 80s. It might have been 1980, in fact. Um, And this just shows you, Colby, what recruiting can do in the sport of college football. Am I asking Mike Gundy to recruit at Georgia's level? No. But look at what Dabo Swinney did at Clemson. You know, Kyle Porter on this podcast made a very good comparison to the school of Clemson and the school of Oklahoma State, very similar, besides besides the fact they wear orange. They're very remote, very rural, and Dabo simply overwhelmed the ACC with recruiting and turned Clemson into a blue blood. They were not a blue blood. Now, they did win a national title in the 80s, much like Georgia did, but they were kind of wallowing around in the ACC. They were under Tommy Bowden, or uh, it was Terry Bowden, not Tommy, and they were – nowhere near this level so 
while Kirby has now been compared to the job that Saban's done at Alabama, his degree of difficulty was much higher. And what he simply did, Colby, was overwhelm people with talent to where the game became a formality like it did against TCU. And, it, and it's not necessarily skill players. Like you got Stetson Bennett throwing it to the lad McConkey dude. But where it is overwhelming in a formality is up front on the defensive and offensive lines. And I don't know how you felt watching that game, Colby, but the days of Oklahoma State competing for national championships after watching that were virtually over. Do I think last year's team could have given them trouble on defense? Sure, I, I absolutely do. And I argued that last year. But what would have happened to Spencer Sanders going against that defense? It, it would have been frightening. It really would have. Yeah, it definitely would have been. And that's a good one. Um, yeah, George has been really impressive. Um TCU, that was rough Monday night. Um, I'll get to my bullet here here in a second, and it's not TCU, but I'll get to my bullet here in a second. Uh, TCU had a magic season. TCU should be proud of itself. Uh, TCU fans, don't remember how it ended. Remember the ride, because if you could have chosen to be a TCU fan this year or a Georgia fan this year, I would have chosen TCU 100 times out of 100, because what they did was special. What they did was magic. And yes, Kirby Smart has turned Georgia around, but now they are the standard and it looks easy for them. And that's just, I, I don't know. That's not where I, I attach my fandom. Uh, I decided a few weeks ago after the world cup, I'm going to be a, a premier league fan. And I uh, immediately wiped the top 10 out of my consideration because I like to root for losers <laughs> because I like wins to matter. So I'm a crystal palace fan and they win and they lose about 50, 50. So that's just kind of how my fandom uh, goes. I, I just, Seems like it'd be boring to be a Georgia fan uh, the last couple of years. But anyway, that's just my own personal take, and maybe I've just been beaten down into misery uh, through all of my sports teams throughout my life. But anyway, my bullet goes to a famous Detroit Lion, Malcolm Rodriguez, Sunday Night Football, Barry Sanders University on his announcement. I thought that was great. It was funny. He's a lion. He's an Oklahoma State Cowboy. That was great. And they beat the Packers, keeping them out of the playoffs, which I was a huge, huge fan of. Uh, much rather watch Seattle in that divisional game this weekend than watch that just god-awful, just painful to watch Packers team ugly up a game for 60 minutes. Uh, so major bullet to Malcolm Rodriguez for the intro and for the win. He's going to make all rookie team, right? He's leading in a bunch of categories. Like, uh, he had an amazing rookie year. Good question. Didn't they start one and six and finish nine and eight, something like that? They were unbelievable down the stretch. It's it's really a shame that they didn't get in the playoffs because of a tiebreaker with Seattle. Because Detroit's a fun team. They'll they'll be back around next year. Barry Sanders University was awesome. I love that. Yes. You know, playing for the Lions. Shout out to Barry. That was that was great stuff. Uh, you mentioned TCU. Uh, John Paul Richardson tweeted about five minutes ago. He's transferring to TCU which was widely speculated, but that's another Oklahoma State receiver out the door and another Oklahoma State receiver, Colby, staying in the Big 12. Uh, he's going to the the national runner-up, TCU. And again, I think this is horrible, horrible business from Oklahoma State. And it appears that, you know, guys are looking for greener pastures, one, because they're not able to communicate with their coaches and learn what's going on. And two, the uncertainty at quarterback. Um, John Paul Richardson going to play at TCU. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, man. That's tough. That's tough. He's he's going to be really good down there. Um, love what they do with their offense. He's going to be really good down there. He was really good in Stillwater. He he was a guy. And again, this is what I talked about earlier, where like fans get attached to guys. John Paul Richardson was fun to watch. I was looking forward to watching John Paul Richardson for another couple years in Stillwater, and I wanted his best football to be played in Stillwater. Uh, and, and it appears that he's going to move on to TCU, and I expect him to do great things down there. Um, 
feels like a good spot for him. It's it's weird that so many guys just transfer in conference, but that's the name of the game now. And I I can totally see how a receiver who played in the 2022 Oklahoma State offense um, with that staff and that scheme watched what happened in Fort Worth and thought, wow, that looks fun. So uh, don't blame him. We'll be rooting for him whenever he doesn't play Oklahoma State. Um, but, yeah, tough to see another one go and tough that he's going to be a guy you're going to have to play against because he's really good. Make no mistake, he is an absolute stud. I mean, I think people just categorize him based on how he looks, Colby. But how many times were you watching a game, because they're countless for me, where Spencer threw a pass in 17's direction and I had a split second thinking, there's no way in hell he's going to be able to catch that, get a foot in bounds. And he did it every single time. I mean, he's an unbelievable receiver. Now, is he Justin Blackman? I'm not saying that, but that's a huge loss, and it is. Going to TCU just <laughs> within the conference, I mean, this is this is bad, man. It's it's really bad. It's a bad look. It's bad for your football team, and it's, it's, it's just bad for the results on the field, in my opinion. And, look, Mike Gundy may win 10, 11 games next year and give me the DX crotch chop. I don't know, but it's it's brutal on, as of uh, January 11th, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, BBs, I've, I've got my BB. You got yours, you want me to go? You go ahead. All right, my BB is going to college football. And this was an easy one. And I don't know why I don't just recycle it every year. College football is played on Saturdays. College football is played during the day on Saturdays. College football is not played until midnight Eastern on a Monday. The college, I love watch parties. I love college football watch parties. I love getting together with everybody. I hate, hate, hate a Monday national championship. Carson, I watched about the first quarter and a half of that game Monday night. I had planned on watching the full first half and then watching the second half Tuesday morning because I've got a baby now. She she doesn't care about the sports schedule. She cares about her schedule. Uh, so I was going to watch the rest of it Tuesday morning. And I had to do that with Oklahoma State's bowl game, and I get that. That's just the guaranteed rate bowl. But the national championship game should be played on a Saturday. I don't give a damn about Week 18 NFL. The college football national championship game should be played on a Saturday every year, and it should be done by at the latest, like 10 o'clock Eastern. This is ridiculous that you have to stay up until the wee hours. You you know, uh, Ohio State was attempting the field goal against Georgia as the ball dropped on New Year's Eve. This is stupid. What are we doing with the scheduling? Someone in that room have the tiniest bit of common sense and move the national championship game to a Saturday so that we can all have watch parties. We can get together. We don't have to worry about getting up at 630 the next morning for work. The Monday National Championship is stupid. This is my new uh, lane. This is my battle that I've decided to pick uh, now with the NCAA is that they keep putting the National Championship game on Mondays. I hated it too. I, I watched first half and it's like, and I think the score had more to do with me quit watching, but I had to like, I had to work some things around just to be able to watch the dang thing on a Monday night. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you, with you there. Um, where am I going to go with my BB? I've got a lot of options here. Um, I had it in my mind and I forgot it. But um, actually, I'm gonna give. I'm just gonna give another bullet. How about this? I'm, I'm gonna be Mr. Positivity. My <laughs> bullet goes to one Todd Munkin. Was he was he dialing up anything good on Monday night, Colby? What you were able to watch? Was Todd Munkin any good at calling plays? Munkin is an absolute monster. It's it's like watching. Uh, it's like watching an artist. I mean, look, <laughs> we all know Georgia was the more talented team. But he coached circles 
around TCU's defensive coordinator. I mean, it was it wasn't even a contest. It was they want they should have just thrown the towel in. It was it was unbelievable. And he's he's always been that smart of a mind. And I think people forget. We all remember the 2011 season. That goes without saying. But the level of offense that he was able to produce in 2012 is not talked about enough with how good of an offensive coordinator he is. He played three quarterbacks that year, J.W. Walsh, uh, Wes Lunt, and Clint Shelf. And I'm going to pull up the numbers here, yards per play. And people don't talk about it enough. <laughs> they were third in the country that year. Or wait a second, maybe I have the wrong year. I think I had the wrong year. Okay. They were fourth in the country in 2012 with those three quarterbacks playing games and uh, yards per play. That's how freaking good Todd Munkin is at offensive coordinator. He didn't even like J.W. Walsh all that much in terms of how he could run his offense through him. He he didn't really hide his disdain when, when he had to play other guys at quarterback. But what he did, fourth in the country in yards per play. And you juxtapose that quarterback situation with this year with Spencer getting shut out in Manhattan. I mean, and look, I, we all know the injuries that occurred. But just juxtapose, you know, injuries happening in 2012 with an offense coordinator named Todd Munkin versus 2022 and really the previous couple of years. It's it's night and day, and, and Todd Munkin deserves all the credit in the world. He's a big, big-time offensive coordinator. I think he'll make a big-time head coach if he wants that. He had it at Southern Miss, went to the NFL, to Tampa Bay, winds up at Georgia. I don't know what his career aspirations are. All I know is I want that dude calling plays. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. That's really hard to watch right now as an Oklahoma State fan. I mean, you you finish the season, you can't score 20 points, um, and then you watch that guy who used to be in Stillwater do that. It's, I, I think we long for the days, Carson, of an offensive coordinator who, regardless of personnel, can just dial it up, confuse defenses, and make life miserable for opposing coaches. That was It was fun to watch. Todd Monken, uh, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. Some big-time coordinators have come through Oklahoma State over the years. Absolutely. And look, I, again, I, I expect changes to happen um, sooner rather than later. We'll have to wait and see on that. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, Don't believe so. Don't believe so. Everybody uh, have a good week. Carson enjoyed it. Uh, Who's Oklahoma State got this Saturday? I I forget the uh, basketball schedule off the top of my head. I I was actually, I was actually just pulling that up now. Uh, Let's see. I got to look at it once a week and then I always forget who they're playing. Oh, they're at Baylor. Fun. Yeah. It's uh, (laughs) it doesn't stop. Does it? I mean, seriously, I come in here hoping for just the tiniest bit of a reprieve at Baylor. That's why last night was so brutal. I mean, you had every yeah. opportunity to win that game, and now you go at Baylor, and it's Oklahoma at home next a week from today. So then Iowa State at Texas. So Man, there's just no let-up. No let-up no. whatsoever. But it, Just win. Just win, baby. Al yeah. Davis. I mean, just win. I don't, I don't want to hear – I don't want to hear about why they had offensive struggles anymore. I don't want to hear it. Just win. I am reading a tweet right now. I think it's uh, Cody Nagel. It just my Twitter refreshed, of course, right as I was reading it, uh, that two of the highest three ranked recruits in Mike Boynton's tenure um, are coming to town next year with Brandon Garrison and Eric Daly. They're they're behind only Cade Cunningham. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, trying to be that, optimistic, but that's a difference between him and Mike Gundy. You know, if you're if you're losing like they did this year in football, you're recruiting at that level. I mean, uh, that. That's part of your job. That's part of your job performance is recruiting, whether Mike Gundy likes that or not. And Mike Boynton is excelling at that, but you can't have one without the other. You got to win games too. And Mike Gundy certainly has that in spades compared to Mike Boynton. So that's, 
that's an interesting dichotomy there, I think, between the two men. And, uh, you know, Boynton's lighting it up, but it's time to light it up on the court where it really matters. Absolutely. All right, Carson, good stuff. Uh, we're going to get out of here back next week. Hopefully Oklahoma State can pull off something magical in Waco this weekend. Everybody have a good week. As always, go Pokes.